Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for having me. I hope that today our time in God's Word would be really helpful for all of us. Pray that, it's been my prayer this week, that each of us would love seeing God's heart here, and that he might transform our hearts um, to be like his as well. So good reading that, Danny. You said that with such gusto. Really felt like you were saying it to that young ratbag son. I wonder, what's your relationship with forgiveness like? Have you ever been forgiven by someone after seriously wronging them or hurting them? There's nothing quite like it. When someone wipes the record of your wrong away, they make the choice to take the pain that you've caused them onto themselves. The person who hurt them can't make things better, but they forgive anyway. My name's Cooper. I'm the youth minister here at Wild Street, and I've got a friend called Justin. Uh, He's at church with me at Wild Street at five. He was in school one day when he was a little boy, and a bloke pushed him from behind, and just like that, he broke his neck, and he hasn't been able to use his arms or his legs ever since. The remarkable story is not that, though. The remarkable story is that Justin forgave that boy. Could you imagine what that takes? It's a wonderful thing when forgiveness happens, isn't it? We admire the person who forgives. Their pain has still happened, but they make the choice to do and want what is best for the person that hurt them. And it's so terrible when forgiveness is withheld, isn't it? Families torn apart, people not spending Christmases together, 20 years, no talking. What about you? When's the time that you've been forgiven? When was the time that you've needed to be forgiven? We've been going through Luke's Gospel since early December of last year. And if you've missed the first bit of our time in it, Luke's an ancient historian doctor who collected the facts about what happened in Jesus' life from people who saw him, who spoke to him, people who knew him personally. He collected them and recorded them so that people in the ancient world who he was writing to and people like us could be sure of what we've heard about Jesus. It's not a real story. It's not a real event. But it's so real that you probably know a situation like it. The characters are made up, but you still feel for them. You still admire them. And gee, we get so frustrated by them. I don't know if you got frustrated while Danny was reading that out then. Jesus told this story to people who were around him, and he told it also for us who are listening today. Jesus tells a made-up story with the real purpose of changing our lives today. Jesus told this story for you if you have or ever will need forgiveness. Jesus told this story for you if you've ever needed to forgive someone or if you ever will. Jesus told this story for you if you need to forgive someone now and you can't see how it's possible. So this story was told by Jesus when he was on his way from the north of Israel to its capital in the south to die on a cross and rise again. And when you're travelling a long way, I don't know about you guys when you've been hiking, but you get pretty hungry. You've got to eat, right? And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they were very important people. They had a problem with Jesus eating. They didn't have a problem with him eating, full stop. But he had a pro- they had a problem with who he was eating with. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, the good and very important people, they had a problem that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees and scribes were the best people around, but the sinners and tax collectors were the worst. 
People thought that the Pharisees and scribes were good, respectable and right. And if you've ever read through the eyewitness account of Jesus' life before, you might think that these Pharisees and scribes were evil people, wicked people that everyone hated. Everyone thought they were hypocrites. That's way off. They were loved. Many of them opposed Jesus, and you might think that people hated them. But remember whose side people took all the way up into Jesus' death. Remember who the people cried out with to crucify Jesus. They were religious leaders, good and moral people of the day. Might be someone like Josh, Kurt or Rod, some of our senior ministers here. That's what they might have been like. Or maybe if you don't really look up to them, it might have been someone like an influencer, maybe a Queen Elizabeth II or a Harry and Meghan, depending on who you like more, not sure. Someone that um, makes you a better person by just looking at their lives, maybe. Um, Yeah, someone that you'd like to follow. But the sinners and tax collectors, they were far from that. You see, Jesus shared meals with the worst of the worst. Not just bad people, worst of the worst. And the Pharisees and scribes, they grumbled, what a wonderful word, they grumbled that Jesus had dinner with sinners and tax collectors. Dirty people, evil people, traitors, thieves, fraudsters, they were all welcomed by Jesus. Sinners and tax collectors are the types of people that you might not have spent too much time with before. They're people that would have been in and out of jail, or maybe just in jail. You wouldn't feel too comfortable around them because you'd be thinking that they might rob you, hurt you, rip you off in some other way. Jesus welcomed these people. He loved spending time with them. He welcomed sinners and tax collectors. The lowest and most hated people around at the time all came to him. And like the Pharisees and scribes, would you be asking, why would you hang out with them, Jesus? I know I would. If we were Pharisees and scribes, we would totally ask that too. We'd be convinced that we could write Jesus off here. Jesus, why do you hang out with them? Surely we don't have to take this guy seriously if he hangs out with those guys, right? Also, if we were tax collectors and sinners, we might have the same question. Jesus, why are you hanging out with me? Why are you hanging out with the bloke next to me? He's twice as bad as I am. So here are the two groups, the Pharisees and the scribes, coming near to Jesus, leaning in to hear what he would say. And so Jesus responds to their grumble with two and a half chapters worth of a speech. But don't worry, what Danny read is most of it. Jesus starts by telling two groups, the Pharisees and scribes and the tax collectors and sinners, two stories that might not be every day for you, but you can probably relate to them. He starts off by appealing to them in story, God loves the lost, don't you too? He tells them a story about a shepherd, sheep farmer, he's got a hundred sheep, one of them he loses, and so he goes after it, he looks for it, and he finds it. Praise God, he brings it back on his shoulders, and he has a party with all of his friends. Jesus also tells another story about a woman who had ten coins. I don't know if you guys remember what coins are in the age of the credit card. Might be like losing your 10 credit cards. Hopefully you don't have that many. (laughs) She sweeps her house. She lights a lamp and eventually she finds it and she has another big party with all of her friends. How good. We love finding lost things, don't we? Even if you're kicking yourself that your keys were in your hand the whole time, we're still relieved and filled with joy when we find lost things. Well, Jesus says that God loves lost things too. 
At the end of both of these stories, Jesus says that God has more joy when one sinner turns to live God's way, to be accepted home, than over 99 people who don't need repentance, who don't need to turn around. And even the mighty angels in heaven, they are filled with joy with God when a sinner repents and turns to God. As we saw in our first reading from Exodus 34, as God spoke to his prophet Moses, he showed exactly what's at his heart. He's the God who is merciful. He's the God who's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's loaded with everlasting love and faithfulness. He forgives sin and blesses thousands of generations. But he won't let sin go unpunished. He will punish to the third and fourth generation. Do you see that ratio? He blesses thousands of generations and punishes third and fourth. That's so off, isn't it? On the scales, you've broken the scales right there, hey? God's heart is for the lost. He loves them. Don't you? Don't we? Jesus finishes off with the third and most memorable story, which Danny read for us just before. It's wonderful. What an amazing story. It speaks for itself, but it's worth reflecting on what's so moving about this story, about a wonderful father and a lost son. It's worth not just rushing over it because we think we've heard it before, because we have. I reckon it hits home because we know people who are like this ratbag evil son. You might even be able to see yourself in the son. This son might even be a friend, a sibling, a parent, tragically a child of yours. It's terrible when you see this breaking of relationships happen, someone flying off the rails into oblivion. People normally get inheritances when their parents die, right? But this evil son said that he'd like that to come sooner so that he could get what he wanted. He wanted his father as good as dead as long as he could get the money. From taking off with his father's money, wasting all that money after selling it, that's why it took a few days for him to leave, spending it all, looking for parties elsewhere, he finally comes to his senses when he's about to start eating the same thing that the pigs are eating, covered in all their mud and poo. It's terribly graphic, isn't it? What a sad state. Maybe I can be a servant to my father if I apologise. But clearly the most amazing thing in this story is the father's reaction to his ratbag, evil, stupid son. I don't know if any of you are fans of classic Dutch art. We've got a painting up there of um, this scene depicted by a Dutch bloke called Rembrandt von Rijn. I think that's how you say it. The father sees his son from way off and runs to him. Instead of telling him off or using his son's sad state as an opportunity to have a power trip, he gives him the biggest hug and kiss. And as his son tries to apologise and ask for a job as a servant, the father cuts him off. He gives him the best clothes and the best barbecue party you could have ever imagined. Here's a party that's really worth celebrating. Hey, it's not the party that's in the distant lands. It's the party that's at home in the loving arms of his father, his wonderful father. Hear the sweet words of the amazing father. Let us eat, let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God loves forgiveness. That's the first thing you need to know. 
The Father reacts just as we would love our Father to react. I think that's why this story stands out to us. Hey, if we were in the situation of the Son, we would love it if our Father welcomed us home with wonderful open arms. Now, your experience of your Father might make this story just seem unbelievable straight away. Jesus says here that God is like this Father. He's like this Father in the story. No matter what comes to mind when you think of a Father, whether that's thinking of yourself or thinking about your dad, We see in this story that God's not just like a slightly better father than your dad. He's the one that all dads should be like. It's beautiful. Jesus says that God loves lost people. His heart is for the sinner. God loves forgiveness. He loves to forgive. In this series on following Jesus that we're doing in Luke, Jesus wants you to know for sure that forgiveness is essential to following Jesus. So be forgiven. To follow Jesus, you need, I need, to firstly be forgiven by God. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus needs to say sorry to God and turn away from rejecting him. I don't know about you, but when I started reading this story, when Danny started reading it out, I thought I could come and read this story and judge the characters, maybe learn something or two. But what God's done here is he's turned around and he's read my heart. He's read me instead. Has he read you? God has shown me that I need to remember how terrible my rejection of him is. That I need to keep turning away from disobeying God, from disobeying my good father, and run back to him to be forgiven time and time again because he loves to forgive sinners like me. He loves to forgive sinners like you. Do you want to follow Jesus but think that you don't need to be forgiven? Jesus is very clear in saying that you do. Do you call yourself a follower of Jesus but think that you didn't and don't need God's forgiveness? Jesus says very clearly that you do. Or do you think that you can't be forgiven? Jesus says that God can forgive you. Jesus says that you can know for sure that he will forgive you If, like this younger son in the story, you turn around, turn away from your wickedness and ask him to forgive you, live with him rightly as your good father. And if you don't believe it, Jesus rose from the dead. He left an empty grave to show you that God will forgive everyone that comes to him. The price for your rebellion, the price for my rebellion is paid. Jesus is risen. Chat with someone who's a regular here at church if you want to find out more about how to follow Jesus or if you want to come home to God today. Don't let this opportunity go past. God loves forgiveness. God loves lost sinners. Don't we? Well, of course we like forgiveness, right? I don't know about you, but when I hear about the tax collectors and the sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes, Um, that Jesus was talking to, I automatically pick the side of the sinners and the tax collectors. Those Pharisees and scribes, they're so negative, they're so proud, they're such snobs. As an Australian, I hate that. Makes my skin crawl. Also, the tax collectors and sinners, like the younger brother in this story, they're not that bad, right? Well, we're probably not giving the Pharisees and the scribes a fair go here. Tax collectors were seriously evil, no matter what we think. These tax collectors would have been Israelites 
who wanted to get loads of money and they didn't care who they had to cheat to get it. These tax collectors would collect money for the Roman Empire who were the latest in a line of rulers of the land of Israel for around 500 years at the time of Jesus' life. These tax collectors would get money for the Roman Empire, but they'd also get some for themselves. Traitors. If any of their fellow Israelites would complain that there were, there were always a few Roman soldiers who could fix that problem with a bit of force. And the sinners wouldn't have been any better. Thieves, prostitutes, murderers, fraudsters. More than likely, the Pharisees and the scribes would have been hurt by some of these people themselves, maybe ripped off. At least they might have known someone who'd been hurt by them. Imagine the anger against them, these traitors, these evil people. When we start to see who these tax collectors and sinners are, and when we can see who they're like in our lives, I think we start to get their point. I think we start to get the point of the good and righteous Pharisees and scribes. They've done all the right things, right? They haven't been traitors. Can you think of a person that's ripped you or your family off? Someone that's hurt you and your friends? The thief that stole your phone, maybe? The mechanic that ripped you off? Maybe the lawyer that keeps taking money from you instead of helping you quickly? The person at work, school, or uni that made up a rumour about you? Or the friend who shared your private information that you told them? Are you angry and you're not wanting to forgive them? Imagine if they came in today, right through those doors. And imagine if right after church, we threw a massive party for them. Wouldn't that make your blood boil? It would for me. The greatest evil that the younger son in the story did was that he rejected his loving father. Even worse than any hurt that we've experienced or any hurt that we have done. The most terrible thing that we and the youngest son did, is rejecting the loving, good father. Jesus, representative of God, how can you hang out with these terrible people who've not only hurt our people, but worst of all, rejected God? I get the Pharisees and the scribes' point. We like the idea of forgiveness for people that we don't know, maybe people in made-up stories or in other people's lives. We'd like to think that if worse came to worse, that God would take us in just like he takes in the youngest son here. But when we put a face to the people that have hurt us, hurt our friends or our family, no, they can burn. We don't really love forgiveness. How could you sit with them, Jesus? What's wrong with what Danny read through before? Looking for a bit of audience participation here. Did we miss something. What do we miss in the story? The second part. Danny's going to come up just in a sec um, and he's going to finish off the story. And this part is often forgotten because it's so dark. It darkens the beauty of forgiveness of the Father and because it's ugly and it shows us what's inside us. So Danny's going to come up now and read the last bit of the story that Jesus tells to the two groups, Pharisees and scribes, tax collectors and sinners that are listening to him. Thanks, Danny. Okay, the second reading is from Luke 15, verse 25 to 32. Luke 15, verse 25 to 32. 25. 
Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Danny. You can hear the passion in the father's voice there, hey, and the anger in the son's voice. A part of the story is so different to the first part, hey. The incredible delight that we feel about the father's amazing forgiveness is quickly overshadowed by the son's anger and lack of forgiveness. His rage at the hurt that this, his younger brother, committed against his family, against him, against his father. Again, there's a few things we need to slow down on so that we don't think we know everything about this story because it's so easy to do. The older brother in this story would have been hurt by his younger brother's stupid evil and so he complains. Just like the Pharisees and the scribes complain against Jesus. I get the older brother's point. His life would have been way harder without half the family's wealth that his younger brother took and wasted. But it's clear that the older brother cares more about himself than about his younger brother's return. He doesn't have any joy about restoration. He doesn't even care about his father's beautiful joy. And so he accuses his father. Did Dave tell you before what prodigal means? No? Okay, does anyone know what prodigal means? I'm looking for audience participation here. Does anyone know what prodigious means? No, that's even harder. It's got even more syllables, doesn't it? <laughs> Prodigal means wasteful. It means extravagant. It means reckless. Sure, the younger brother was prodigal. That's why the story is often called the prodigal son. It's nothing that's written in the Bible. It's just what some people later on put on, the, put on the story. He was wasteful and reckless. But now the older brother accuses the father of being prodigal too. Over the top, wasteful and generous, putting on this party for this ratbag son. In this moment, worse than any evil from his younger brother, the older brother showed that he was just concerned about himself all along. It's clear that the older brother doesn't share his wonderful father's love for forgiveness. The father shows just how wrong his oldest son is with this response to his son's darkness, to his anger, to his lack of forgiveness. Son, you're always with me, and all that's mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. 
For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but he's found. Our first point is that you need to be forgiven. And our second point is that you need to love God's forgiveness too. You need to share his heart. A big part of Jesus' response to the grumbles of the Pharisees and the scribes is this story. It's a story that shows us why Jesus spent time with tax collectors and with sinners. Because his heart is for the lost. He eats with them because he loves to forgive the sinner. God loves to forgive. But it's also a story that shows us that forgiveness is hard, but that we should forgive too. It's right for the Father to forgive and to be filled with joy. And it's a terrible breaking of relationship that the older brother commits by staying outside, being bitter. He doesn't join them in the party. To not forgive, to not share in the joy, to grumble, to resent his father for his beautiful forgiveness. Just like older brothers, we don't like forgiveness too. We don't love God's forgiveness, but God loves forgiveness and we need to change to love forgiveness too. Who in the audience that Jesus was speaking to do you think needed to hear God's love and forgiveness? Is it just for the younger brothers? Is it just for sinners and tax collectors? It's definitely for them, but it's not just for them. Most people think they're pretty good because we compare ourselves to others. Even people that you and I would consider worse than us still think that they are better than other people. They think that God would bring them in just because he'd kick some others out. That's not how God lets people in. Knowing God's not about how well you do compared to others. It's all about who you know. Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you forgiven by him? Jesus shows clearly that the older brothers, Pharisees and scribes, are just as guilty of rejecting God as the sinners and the tax collectors, the younger brothers. Their rejection of God just looked fancier and better on the service, but it was no better. Every person needs to be forgiven. Jesus goes on to show that there are no people who don't need to be forgiven. Jesus sees that even the good and moral Pharisees and scribes were lovers of money. And he says to them later in this same speech, in Luke chapter 16, verse 15, pull your Bibles out if you want to see it, you are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. The game's up. For what's exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So who has done the greatest evil against God and others? Well, it's the younger brothers, but it's also older brothers. Who needs forgiveness? Definitely younger brothers, but also older brothers. Definitely you and me. God loves forgiveness, so come to him and be forgiven. Don't be too proud. Do you think that you're too good to need forgiveness? You're not. We've seen that. You likely need forgiveness from other people, even if you're too proud to admit it. How will you go with God? Are you running away from God, your Father? Are you in the short-lived or hollow party? Come home to your loving, loving Father. Has God caused you to come to your senses? Come home. Are you angry at God's forgiveness? Come home to your loving Father. Whether you want to come home to your loving Father for the first time or for the millionth time, remember this picture that Jesus shows us of the loving Father. 
Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he great? Come to him. I'm reminded of the classic song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. So come home to your loving Father. Make sure you speak to someone hereafter if this is the day that God's called you home because he's calling. Remember who he is. God loves forgiveness, so come to him and be forgiven. We need to forgive others as well. That's our last point. God's heart is for the lost. He loves to forgive. But he also says that his followers must share his heart for the lost and for forgiveness. Jesus' goal in this speech is to show what it means to follow him. Firstly, you've got to be forgiven. Secondly, you've got to forgive others. Later on in Jesus' speech in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, flick open your Bibles again, he tells his followers or disciples that just as God loves to forgive, so they too must share his heart and forgive others. Even if someone sins against them seven times, imagine that seven times in one day at work, someone comes up to you and really gets under your skin. He says, forgive them seven times. Jesus' closest followers immediately did the right thing. They ask him for help. Have you got the same cry as Jesus' closest followers when you hear his call to forgive others? Help? I know I do. Jesus has pointed out to me how I love to hold on to anger and not forgive through this story. Like all the ways that we reject God, I can see it most clearly in my closest relationships with my wife and my mum. I thought about how I can hate forgiveness when my wife and mum hurt me, whether it's something small or big. I can be so bitter, I can withhold good from them. I'm distant, I say harsh words. My heart hates forgiveness. I need help. Like me, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Is it a family member, colleague, even a brother or sister here from church? Often in January, some Christians pop around to different churches, even our church, welcome if that's you. They're looking to change churches. You might have great reasons for doing that, but it's worth asking, are you running? Are you running from relationships that desperately need forgiveness in them? Don't let a lack of forgiveness shape your relationships. Chat with someone who's a regular here. We'd love to help. God loves to forgive people. We should forgive others. But how can we? Jesus' closest followers had it right. They called out for help to Jesus And he's the one who forgiveness comes through. First of all, you've got to ask God to forgive you. The most beautiful way that you can forgive others is through being forgiven yourself. So be forgiven. And secondly, ask God for help. Because forgiveness isn't normal. It's God-like. It's something that he does. But it's also something that comes from him. He loves to answer our prayers when we ask him to help us forgive people. Is he calling for you? to do that work in you today. And if you're not convinced that you're forgiven, then you need to ask God to forgive you and look at the tomb that Jesus rose from to prove that the price for your rejection is paid, that you're forgiven. If you're thinking that you don't need to be forgiven, look at the cross that Jesus brutally died on. Your sin is that bad. You and I are that bad. 
Tasting the sweet forgiveness of God in Jesus' death and resurrection is what you and I need. Only then will we rightly see that we're no better than others. Only then will we see that we're deserving of punishment but get forgiveness. And only then will God's forgiveness of us so transform our hearts that we would forgive others as our loving Father forgives. The last thing you've got to do in the forgiveness of God and asking for his help, forgive. That's the call of God to you today. Forgive the person who hurt you. Why don't even ask a trusted Christian brother or sister from church to pray for you, to keep you on track. It might be two steps forward, one step back. Don't share it to them in a gossipy way. Share it in a way that recognises that you need help. Want to fix the relationship. Forgive them because God has forgiven you. It's hard, but it's worth doing. It's hard, but with God, it's possible. A man named Gordon Wilson is a Northern Irishman. He tasted the forgiveness of Jesus back in the 80s. Tragically, him and his daughter Marie were buried by rubble from a bomb that was tragically planted by a group in North Island. Listen to the story that he told just hours after he was pulled out of the rubble, full of remembrance of who our loving father is and his forgiveness. We were both thrown forward, rubble and stones and whatever in and around us and over us and under us. I was aware of a pain in my right shoulder, so I shouted to my daughter Marie and asked, was she all right? And she said, is that your hand, Dad? Now remember, we were under six foot of rubble and I said, are you all right? And she said, yes, but she was shouting in between. Three or four times I asked her and she always said, yes, she was all right. When I asked her the fifth time, are you all right, Marie? She said, Daddy, I love you very much. These were the last words that she spoke to me. I've lost my daughter and we shall miss her, but I bear no ill will. I bear no grudge. She's in heaven and we will meet again. Dirty sort of talk is not going to bring her back to life. And so I shall pray for the bombers tonight and every night. God forgive them. To follow Jesus, we must be forgiven. To follow Jesus, we must forgive others. Remember our good Father. That's the call of Jesus today. God, please help us. Amen.